Hello and welcome back to the Quacked Out Pod. I am Charlie, joined by Reed. Uh, it's been a minute, man. It's been a minute since we had one of these episodes. I think we were kind of waiting on stuff to die down and it never really <laughs> did. Yes. Yeah, I think um, it's. Gl- I'm glad to be back. I've been pretty much you know uh dialed into school finishing up finals that were pushed back uh to lane a bit because of the hurricane so so we went late into december and and i'm kind of just coming up for air in the past 24 hours uh i've dabbled around a little on on twitter with all the breaking news but i've had my head in the books a lot as well but it's very nice to be back i'm there's nothing i want to do more than than talk some ducks yeah me too uh, the last time we were together, I believe, was right after Mario was fired. So just <laughs> in case you <laughs> don't remember the last time we recorded, it's been quite a quite a long time, uh, especially for our standards. So, but yeah, I mean, going forward, we're expecting to do like the same schedule we're used to. Uh, hopefully, doing weekly, if not twice weekly, episodes. Um, maybe do a little bit like shorter stuff so that we can kind of, I don't know, keep ourselves organized. Right. It's also tough when like. You know, we'll we'll talk about different, and we'll hit on different things today. Don't get don't get me wrong, um, but it's kind of tough when you'll like hit on a piece of news at one point during a long two hour episode, and then like that one bit of news is old by the time you like release it, or even like throughout the week, yeah, before your next pod. So, with that being said, uh, we are going to touch on a lot of stuff in this episode just because we have so much to catch up on. Uh, we're going to talk about landing, obviously, all the hires made around there. Talk about the early signing day or the start of the early signing period. Um, we got a couple transfers to talk about um, and <laughs> including incoming transfer that we didn't necessarily expect, I don't think. Uh, am I missing anything? No. Yeah, we're, we're you know, we're going to touch on all those things. Uh, this one's going to be especially focused on the staff stuff just because that's kind of the big picture stuff um and i'm sure that we'll kind of dive a little deeper into the dynamics of this class uh you know over over the coming week or so um and then also (laughs) the alamo bowl is about a week away you know right on the other side of christmas basically so we'll get a preview of that out soon as well but this we we haven't really got a chance to even comment on on landing and all the news there uh and it's been kind of non-stop news over the past week and a half or so so um i'm excited to, to break that down and give our thoughts there yeah man that's been nuts i did tease um bo nicks a little bit as well we will talk about him briefly although as you said like that's more of a next year talking point than a this year talking point considering all the other stuff that's going on but we will touch on it a right bit. yeah all right, man. Uh, let's get into this timeline because I think there's a lot of confusion surrounding some of this. Uh, talking about the Dan Lanning hire. Um, here's the thing, right? Atlanta Journal-Constitution and Chip Towers, an experienced, experienced journalist at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, which is a kind of what people call a legacy media outlet, right? Yeah. It's it's like your Oregonian of Georgia, essentially. Right. Um, and if something if a report is coming from there, it is legit. Like ninety nine point nine percent of right, the time. Right. And even more it being um, in like a major metro area like Atlanta. It, I mean it's like Yes. It's almost it's not like quite the New York Times, but it's like, you know, a step closer to that even. Um so it 
it's definitely a, yeah. it's it's not just like a message board rumor I, chip towers literally said that on some podcasts i caught him on and he was like <laughs> you know hey man when i when i put stuff out on like for the atlanta journal constitution like i it has to be right like i can't be wrong this isn't like oh i'm hearing this yeah post you know somewhere to 500 subscribers it's like no this is like a an official report uh that that we don't want to get wrong so yeah yeah man and especially in such a deep-rooted uh, sport and relationship that though that publication has with Georgia football like right it's really hard to question something like that so I think everybody's head was spinning by the time that uh, the 247 guys um, put out reports that it was not true and that Oregon had not in fact hired Dan Lanning at least not yet yeah um, that was on a and then we have like Kanzano sprinkling his own stuff on the end of it yeah that all happens on a Friday I think and then that night there's the twitter spaces with dan lanning's brother in it um i'm, I'm sure everyone's <laughs> yes. heard of this but maybe for a few people who haven't yeah basically dan lanning's brother hops in this new thing twitter spaces just like a live chat um and my man is just spilling the beans on all this stuff and he's like totally oblivious to what a big deal it is like there's just multiple blue check marks in there it's like 1500 people deep everyone on oregon twitter is talking about it and people and they're like are, like how do we even know this is his brother and Kerpia hops in he's like <laughs> it's his brother guys like i i checked in on it it definitely is <laughs> and um yeah the brother's just like floating all this stuff he's like oh he usually calls the family he hasn't done that yet and he's like floating names he even mentions on the Twitter space, he mentioned um, his relationship with Dillingham, who he later hired as OC. So, like, he's going deep into the roots. It's like, okay, how does he know all this stuff? Um, and it's like, well, because he actually is his brother. But it was so funny because people are like, does your brother know you're on here? Like, is he okay with you doing this? And, yeah, and he's the brother's like, I mean, no, he doesn't know, but like, I'm not saying anything that isn't like public information, basically. Like, everyone knows this stuff. It's like, dude, that's just not like, there's a, and he just, I think yeah. he, he, in his mind, it seemed like he thinks he's just like talking to like five people. He doesn't even really know the, like, the technology works, it felt like. And of course, there's like 2,000 people listening as he just gives the direct scoop. Josh Pate hops in there. It was just so funny. It was so funny. Um, yeah, that was great. Yeah, man. But that's a it, that's an important point because like spaces played an actual critical role in this hire. <laughs> like it's really weird to say that. I mean, maybe not like the hire itself, right. but the timeline of figuring out what was actually happening. Like you said, you had literal journalists in there, like getting the scoop on this hire from his brother. Yeah. And like, there's people on the toilet in the background <laughs> and all this shit. It's just literal but, shit. It's crazy. Yeah, But I mean, that tells you a lot. Like when the, you know, when guys from two, four, seven and Kripia and like Brandon Marcello and Josh Pater in there, it's like, yeah, these are dudes who have like the phone numbers of, people with actual like sourcing that they could actually like work and get yeah. something. And they decided that the better scoop they can find is from the brother on the Twitter space. 
Like, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and even Rob Mullins hopped in after the hire to, to yeah. justify <laughs> it to the fans. Yeah, it was totally ridiculous, funny. Um, cool thing, though. But, yeah, yeah it's it, – you bring up an interesting point, like – uh, not to segue too much into the spaces, but like I think it's a really interesting platform, and it's one that we've talked about using yeah. for a little bit now. It's one that we did, in fact, use um, a couple weeks ago around the Mario stuff happening. But um, it's interesting because, like you said, you get guys like Kripia in there, again, a literal sourced journalist. Uh, even Rob Mullins has been in there. A lot of team parents yeah. were in there when we hosted the space. Um, you can get a really, really interesting mix of people in there. And then you can bring fans to it, which is something that traditional journalism doesn't offer really at all, um, unless you just have a journalist who will regurgitate questions from their fans or whatever. But yeah, man, it, I think it's a really interesting platform, one that we're definitely looking to use going forward. Yeah, yeah, it's super interesting. Everyone's kind of looking to do something here or there, and, and we'll we'll find our, our space in it too, I'm sure, because it, it's, it's a cool thing for sure. Um, and it's cool the direct interaction yeah it's kind of like got some live radio flavor to it but then kind of fan run it, it's mm -hmm. cool it was interesting for sure uh, something that'll hopefully this coaching search ends up on the wiki page uh when the spaces history books are <laughs> um i think it could anyways yeah. um <laughs> we got pretty far off the tracks there but uh point being like my point with this whole journal constitution report with the 247 reports and from the Kanzano reports later which we'll also touch on um i don't really think anyone was lying here or even that anyone was wrong um i think it's more so just a a timeline mishap now i know it's really tough to look at it and say well if chip tower says this and people like uh, you know clearly deny it how do those things not necessarily contradict each other Again, it's you have to realize where this information is coming from. Like Chip Chip Towers is not one of those guys who's in on this like space race to get this news out. Uh, he's not one of those guys. He's again, he's an older guy. Like he's been doing this forever at the Atlanta Journal Constitution. Not really a breaking news type guy. So when he puts something out, you know it's legit. And at this point, I'm pretty much regurgitating what Stephen Godfrey said, another amazing legacy journalist. Uh, he runs the split zone duo podcast which i know i've plugged before and there's a patreon episode about literally this and like how these hires were made and kind of how the they call it how like the media sausage is made behind the scenes here yeah. um so if you're really interested in uh learning more about the timeline of the hire i would definitely check that out uh it's on their behind their patreon paywall but it's only five bucks a month and it's definitely worth it um so yeah Okay, let's talk about this Kanzano report real quick, or both of them, um, because this is another thing that I saw a lot of people just kind of outright denying the legitimacy of, uh, and I understand like where that comes from. You know, it's fans; they want what's best for the the program and stuff like that. But um, Oregon offered Josh Wilcox. That is a real thing that happened, and another real thing that happened was him turning us down. How can we start to make sense of those two things both actually happening? Yeah, so I'll say, um, and and I, I mean, I agree with what your your point in general. Like these people aren't making things up, and when they source something, there is like truth to it always. Um, yeah, 
they didn't just get a random dm from someone or whatever like it's it's legit sourcing yeah yeah. but at the same time i'll also say um all this stuff is it's it 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 is true but it's also there's an element of like half truths and you kind of different people position these things in different ways and kind of like you know i mean especially kanzano i think tries to put an angle on things and he did that with both of these stories um Mm-hmm. And Mullins talked about it in uh, briefly after the intro press conference, uh, the AD, obviously, for those who don't know at Oregon. Um, and he said, you know, there wasn't a formal offer to anyone else and obviously didn't want to mention Wilcox by name. Um, but part of what I interpreted from it is is the timeline's interesting because Chip Towers reports, I think, on Friday night that Lanning's, you know, going to get it. 247 people deny it. Then, you know, some time waits, but Kanzano comes out with something, you know, after the hire on Sunday morning. Um, and he says that communication with Wilcox and formal offers and like continued attempts were made to him going into Saturday, um, which is kind of interesting. Um, but I think that, you know, in I, I think that offers are a weird thing. Um, because, you know, at least how Mullins tried to spin it was that you kind of have those, you have a few serious candidates and you're going through parallel negotiations with them at the same time. Um, and when they're serious, you kind of get down the road a bit. Um, and that's something we heard from, you know, on Scoop Duck a bit as well. Uh, Jay Hop was kind of talking about how this search was run kind of through parallel courses and and Mullins didn't say that explicitly but he alluded to the same thing um where kind of you know Phil Knight and donors and stuff have have some candidates and Mullins is working on some guys so I have we definitely know stuff got really serious with Wilcox and there was you know something that was close to an offer to him um you know I I think I mean I'm sure technically as is always the case, you know, no one has ever formally offered a job until they've already accepted it, right? Um, So you don't, you know, people rarely like put the contract in front of them and have them holding the pen ready to sign, like, unless they already know they're going to sign, obviously. Um, But so I think there was an offer made, you know, if if you want to look at it the optimistic way and, and the way like Oregon fans will try to probably justify that, is digging into like what was the offer and why that might how that might connect to the fact that Wilcox declined it because you have Gonzano and you have John Wilner kind of propping Wilcox up for a while here especially Wilner has been like talking so much about the COVID issues at Cal with Wilcox and he was pushing him for the UW job before this and then started pushing him for the Oregon job um anyways it just seemed like from the reporting from Wilner and Kanzano, like, and just in terms of common, you know, common sense about Wilcox being an Oregon guy, like everyone thought this and the situation at Cal being bad, everyone thought Oregon is Wilcox's dream job. He's begging for it. All he wants is the job. Of course, he's going to take it. Like, I don't think this was ever a possibility in people's mind until the Kanzano report that he wouldn't take the job if he was offered. Um, Mm-hmm. So I wonder why that was, like you said. 
Um, and so I think that there's kind of two justifications for that in my mind. One is just like what Oregon has become um, and the level of expectations and win now. Uh, it's just like a different place than it was if, if you were Bilotti taking over the job in, in 95, you know. Like you're not, it's not time to program build and maybe one day we'll get to a Rose Bowl. It's like, people are like, we should win the conference next year. Um, so, and, and, you know, Kanzano also mentioned a lot about how Helfrich was treated, who is also kind of that native son who took over the Oregon program and even got Oregon to a national championship game. And then he was kind of trashed and drugged through the mud a bit you know, when, when things failed pretty fastly. Uh, I, and I think that was, I mean, you know, personally, obviously I have no issue with Helfrich. He's an awesome guy. Um, and he did some good things for the program, but he was a disaster ultimately, uh, as soon as Mariota left. Um, anyways. Yeah. And I mean, I, I love the term native son, but like here, we under, you know, me and you, we under and a lot of our listeners understand at this point what it takes to win in college right. football at this point. Um, and I mean, we haven't even talked about the letter yet, but I think that kind of mentality of just holding on to what you have um, <clears throat> and what's special to you, dis not disregarding winning, but maybe making it secondary to uh, you know gra taking hold of your identity as a program we don't really buy that you know maybe we'll feel a little more sentimental when we're older but at this point i think it's pretty clear that you know we just want to win and this is where this program is at and yeah i mean again it is hard to constitute or you know make sense of offering wilcox and you know allowing him to come home and all this stuff but when you look at it from that angle of establishing an actual identity, it, it does make a little bit of sense. And we talk all the time about how strong a brand is. That's different than an identity, right? I mean, yeah. everyone can look at the Oregon O and know what school it's referring to and what you know football program it's referring to. Um, but in recent years, I mean, there has been a little bit of, of an identity clash. I mean, Again, we built this program upon, or not we, <laughs> but this program was built up upon like doing flashy things and you know, yeah, running offenses that nobody else was doing, wearing stuff no one else was wearing, and that did wear down a little bit in the Cristobal era. But I think fans kind of understand that, like, yeah, you're you're allowed to make those kind of sacrifices when you want to get elite talent and you want to eventually win uh, a national title. So. I mean, again, all that to say, like, I am totally fine with not hiring Josh Wilcox. I was kind of pissed that his name was even mentioned uh, and thrown around in that discussion. If Mullen says there was no offer, then shoot, maybe. But, I mean, he has a reason to lie to us, and Gonzano doesn't. Yeah, so, well, I I don't know, man. I think a, an important, like, note on just the mechanics of it is, and Gonzano even said this in a – in one of the podcasts he did afterwards was he said, you know, he knew there was quote unquote, like an offer made, but, um, but noted, like he didn't know anything about the specifics of the offer. And so I think that's yeah. like a portion of it is, is I, you know, maybe he gets the offer, but it has a lot of strings attached, um, in terms of, you know, mm -hmm. contract money is probably heavily incentivized. Um, and then also like the assistant hires is a big thing. 
Ducks fans mm-hmm. might know, like, you know, have, have a history with Bill Musgrave. Um, and <laughs> he's the OC at Cal right now. Like, you know, who knows if that part of that was, dude, you got to run a real offense. You can't have Musgrave come over with you. Yeah. Um, that is like very, very possible. <laughs> um, which again would fall into that similar vein of like, let's establish an identity. You know, we have our, our native son or whatever back home and like, look at this whole staff that like we've assembled that is all about Oregon and all invested in Oregon. Yeah. And again, lastly on this letter, the last thing I'll mention, it's so ironic that like what these guys really wanted. Sure. Some of them wanted to hire Wilcox others, you know, Joey said on the space that like, you know, some of them wanted to hire Wilcox. Some didn't really care, but were you know, wanted it to be considered a little yeah. more than others. Yeah. Um, but I think what they really wanted out of it was something they couldn't have, which was like continuity, right? Yeah. That was kind of the main focus of their whole thing was like, well, we built this program on like 30 years of back end work with all these, you know, continuity and assistance. Yep. Well, guess fucking what? That's not exactly something you can just snap your fingers and make happen. Like, you can't <laughs> – Rob Mullins can't, like, set a clock back 30 years and, like, rehire, you know, Steve Greatwood and all these dudes that were at Oregon and Nick Aliotti who were there forever. Right. Like, that's not realistic. That's not going to happen. When you're an elite program, your elite coaches get poached. That is just what happens to elite yeah. programs. Um. So, yeah, I, I thought that was kind of ironic that that's sort of what their ethos was, like, centered around. Well, I, I just think that um, the only way you can – yeah, you just have to build that thing. And, honest, I mean, I think Mario was doing a good job of, of in that aspect of building out a staff. Um, and, and there was some turnover, especially at the coordinator positions. But there was a lot of solid position coaches that were sticking around for a while and kind of building out a network mm-hmm. and and he was kind of starting to create a bit of a coaching tree um for himself at Oregon. So I think, you know, um that's how you do it, right? I mean, that like look at yeah, what Saban yeah. Clemson. Does, yeah, Clemson or look at what Saban did at Alabama. It's like Alabama was turbulent times before he arrived and then he sets his roots down there <laughs> and it takes a while, but you know, you you make that really good hire. And you look up 10 years later and it's like, oh, you know, holy shit, there's a bunch of really good coaches that have come through this program and and this whole network. Um, And -hmm. that's what Oregon did on a, you know, a smaller scale, obviously, way back in the day, Um, you know, building through from Brooks to Bilotti and anyways, but, you know, I think the letter was interesting again for, you know, people might not know what we're talking about. Um, Kanzano wrote an article about how players signed and published a letter. It was written by Joey Harrington. It kind of not published, well, right. not published. That's an yes, important distinction. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. The players wrote this letter specifically to Mullins, just kind of to say, or to Rob Mullins, just saying like, we don't want to lose our identity. Look at Wilcox. We don't want to be. Yeah, exactly. And Wilcox is a long-term stable solution potentially. Um, and yeah, my take on it was just, you know, the, we talk about the Oregon brand and what separates it in college football. And, um, you know, it's, it's always been about innovation and going national QB 11 makes this point a lot. Like, 
everything Oregon's done from a branding perspective over the past two decades has been about, you know, breaking down regionality and building it national. They've done, they've mm-hmm. totally zagged in that regard to what like UW is doing. Um, and that's been really, that that's proven successful. Um, but I think that, well, I don't know. I mean, I get the nostalgia from these guys, but like, for me, what I go back to is like what happened after the 2015 national title game with Helfrich and just that feeling of like, we, these guys, like through this family atmosphere and this long-term like coaching staff and the influx of money from Nike and all the innovation, everything like Oregon built this juggernaut spaceship thing that was ready to take off. And it was like so much bigger than anyone in the room in the building even realized who built it because none of those guys Mm -hmm. understood how to leverage what the brand was in recruiting. Um, And so it was like, yeah, like they built this thing, but none of them knew how to drive it, basically, Uh, at least not after Chip left, you know, so um, Mm -hmm. anyways. And real quick, well, off of yeah. that, and I think we can segue this into landing a little bit. Let me read a quote from his Sports Center appearance a couple of days after he was hired. Right, quote: "Oregon's a premier brand." He said, "Oregon's a team that it doesn't matter what spot in the nation you're at, you recognize it." And for me, I never wanted to leave Georgia for anything less than a job that I thought was an elite one. And this is that. Again, already understands what it's like to operate with a national brand in Georgia. I mean, you could maybe pick some poke some holes in that like georgia doesn't really need to be a national brand because it's in georgia right um but point being like he knows how to make this thing work and i'm really excited to see how that plays out uh but sorry just quick little tangent continue with where you were going yeah well i i was basically gonna say the same thing it's like why did you put all of that effort into this program for 30 years what is the goal of all of that it's to build it into a top you know 15 program where that guy like lanning who's set up perfectly at georgia in a dc position that he never has to leave um you know Mm -hmm. like he's gonna be incredibly successful as long as he wants it wants to be there and you set it up to the point where Oregon actually becomes one of the 15 jobs in the country that he would be willing to leave that cushy, perfect, you know, risk-free setup to go to because he believes he can compete for a national title at Oregon. Like, and that's what this is. Like, that was all you work for this entire time. It wasn't to hire Wilcox again. It's to have it be like, <laughs> we get a legit dude. Um and even with the Taggart search, we didn't get that as much as, as this one, I feel like. Um, and there's some pros and cons to Lanning that we're about to get into. But it's like, look, man, what was Lanning doing? He, w- he was sitting at Georgia, and he's had tons of opportunities. And he basically mm-hmm. interviewed for the Oklahoma job, you know, and it's like he was runner-up there to Venables, who's been waiting for a long time for a job, you know, whatever. But, like, they were very close to hiring Lanning. It's like, hey, man, yeah. look, go tell a Ducks, go, hop in the time machine and tell a Ducks fan in 1990 that Oregon's going to be, you know, in the same coaching pool for candidates as Oklahoma. Like, yeah, yeah, that's that's Crazy. where we're 
you know, that's, that was the goal. Right. So I'm, I'm super glad that Oregon to whatever extent it was offered, kind of dodged the bullet of going conservative on, on a Wilcox hire. And for me, the thing about this landing hire is despite the cons and the inexperience and all of that, this is, uh, you know, bold national brand, high upside hire. Right. Um, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. it just leans into that and it kind of says like, no, we're going to be serious about this thing. We're going to do something bold and, and try to, you know, try to keep climbing as a brand. I think that a lot of the things we're mentioning about Wilcox can also apply to right. Chip, who was obviously the odds on favorite to be the coach pretty much as soon as the um, job opened until we hired Lanning. <laughs> so, um, yeah, man, again, obviously Chip is a much different guy than Wilcox. And real quick, I know we're just sort of shitting on Wilcox. Like, He's a great defensive coach. Make no mistake. He is, he is a phenomenal defensive coach. He's highly regarded in the coaching community around the country. His record doesn't exactly speak for itself. Again, he beat us two years ago, but also with that losing record, has had to deal with more COVID BS than any coach in the country uh, being situated in Berkeley. So there's a lot of excuses for him. But again, I, I would not want him as the next head coach. I'm very glad we did not hire Josh. Yeah, Fox. I mean, I, for all the reasons we just stated, I think that's a step in the. Wrong I mean, direction. he's a great, he's a great dude. He's an Oregon guy, you know, like we have been for the past few years. Like I root for him at Cal when I can, you know, like yeah, it's yeah. great for him. But that doesn't mean that he just should get the keys to the Oregon job just because he has ties here, you know. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah, it's kind of odd that we're like we're seeing former players like vouch for nepotism when this is a at like this crucial, crucial, like turning point in the history of the program. Anyways, enough about Wilcox. Um, Dan Lanning, let's get into it. Uh, Georgia defensive coordinator. Before that, he was the uh, outside linebackers coach at Georgia. Before that, he was at Memphis as a linebackers coach. And before that, he was GA at Alabama back in 2015. Way, way before that, um, he was at Park Hill South High School in Missouri. And he fa quite famously, like, you know, gets in his car, drives like 13 hours or whatever to Pitt, convinces whoever was coached there at the time, I can't remember, to give him a GA position. Uh, it works miraculously. Um, ends up at Arizona State as a GA, and then Sam Houston, and then Bama. So, has, if anyone has watched, <laughs> has not watched Georgia's defense this year, um, maybe as much as I or other college football fans have, it's nasty. It's it's absolutely disgusting in the best possible way. Um, I understand, you know, didn't show up against Bama like whatever Bama's Bama I'm not I'm honestly not even like <laughs> that's a whole different discussion like, right if you're not able to stop Bama I'm really not going to hold it against you um the biggest kind of dig we've seen at Lanning though uh despite you know helping concoct this otherworldly defense it's gonna it's already highly regarded as like one of the best of all time in college football yeah. despite that he does catch a lot of flack because People say, well, you know, it's a relatively easy job for a defensive coordinator. Kirby Smart runs the defense. It's Kirby Smart's defense. Obviously, he's a defensive coach. He used to play defensive back at Georgia. Like, he he molds that defense to what he needs. And, like, he's got his hands all over it. Yep. Is 
can you say anything to push back on that? Because I don't really think that's an accurate portrayal of land. Well, yeah, I'll say, like, one, I mean, the counterpoint to that is, like, look at how good of a... Well, one, landing calls the plays is the big thing. And then, two, it's, like, you can just kind of refigure that argument to make the exact opposite point, which is, like, look at how good of a coach Kirby Smart is, how much he knows defense, like... And he gave the keys mm-hmm. to his defense to this guy. So that's a pretty strong yeah. endorsement of him as a defensive coach, right? Um, and that's what you mm-hmm. see with everything about Lanning. Like, he just has so – people are so positive who have been around him. Um, and, yeah, he's a fast riser. But, like, you look at – I think um, I think it was a 247 sports article. It might have been athletic. I forget, but it was it was surveying like a bunch of current coaches about who's kind of the next guy who should get the chance to run a big time program. And Landing was at the top of the list in terms of getting votes. Like um mm. yes, he's he's not, you know, proven, but the deal is like, you know, everyone's a, a first time head coach at some point, right? Um and yeah, it's yeah. a big deal to get the Oregon job, but that's more and more the way that this thing's going. Um, because so many people have gone to, you know, taken been big time assistants or coordinators, I should say, uh, and they've taken that kind of job that's that's not the first head coaching job they get, um, and it's not the best setup for them, you know, and and they're not engineered to win, and and there's some institutional pushback or whatever it is. And they don't get it off the ground, and then they're kind of their names, you know, put down at the bottom of the list again, and they have to grind their way back up. Uh, and Lanning recognized that, and so he kind of just sat there and was like, "Hey, I'm, you know, I can wait here as long as I want. I'm going to wait until I get a great job." Um, and that was the nice thing about what, you know, Joey said in the after the letter and going back on. He did a radio hit with Canzano and just kind of said look, man, this letter was written at the start of the week before we knew anything. It was a turbulent time and, and Cristobal had just left and we were all feeling kind of an identity crisis in the Oregon fan base too. And I think that one of the things Joey pointed out that I totally agreed with was the nice thing with Lanning is he did actually choose the Oregon job, you know? Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like he he's had other offers and he decided that this one was worthy of it. Um but yeah, you know, he's, I'll, I'll, I'll go in and just say, um, the tweet I put out right after, after the hire, just kind of, you know, for people who aren't familiar with landing, how do you like sell this as quick as possible? Um, and for me, it's like, you know, compared to what Cristobal is, you get to keep a lot of the stuff that you liked. Um, he's, he's passionate, he's intense, he's charismatic. He has that kind of SEC dna as in he just knows how to how to go about this sport the right way he's learned from the best people Mm -hmm. uh he might not have quite the depth of resume that that cristobal had especially in terms of his time as a player but that kind of went back to bite bite us um (laughs) and he hasn't been a head coach before which which was nice in cristobal but um but he was, you know, even though he wasn't a position coach, he was a GA on that 2015 Alabama staff. And 2015 Alabama staff mm-hmm. is like the gold standard of staffs that you want to have been in the room yeah. for. Yeah. Um, Mel Tucker, Kirby Smart, Cristobal, uh, Kiffin, 
crazy names on there. Anyway, so you take all that stuff that you really like about about what you had with Cristobal. Um, you know, he's player's coach. He's just a good guy that you can root for. Um, and then you, you know, you're going to add to that a really good on-field coach. And we all know how much of, you know, the complaints there were about what Cristobal did in that regard. Um, but Lanning is like a top five defensive mind in college football right now, really. And he comes from an awesome defensive Easily, coaching yeah. tree uh, with with Kirby Smart and Nick Saban. So that's so good. Um, in terms of recruiting, we'll see. You know, at the time I said, um, I think that, you know, you might take what was kind of a 10 in recruiting with Cristobal and dial it back down to, you know, a 9 or 8.5. Um, cause landing, you know, he, he's really good, but I thought maybe he's a little bit a step below Chris Wall. Cause I, I hold Chris Wall's recruiting in a super high regard, like top three in the country personally. But, but then you look at the staff landings put together. It's, it's a lot of positive integrators in that regard. Um, but yeah, basically it's, it's just a good hire because you get, you get to have a lot of continuity with the blueprint that Cristobal was working on. And then you just throw Lanning in there mm -hmm. and he's able to do a lot of the same things, but he also has really strong, legit schematic um, abilities. The same issue obviously is, is going to be, what do you do on offense? Um, but I tend to almost think that, you know, well, one, I think the defensive head coaching thing is, is a bit overblown. I mentioned the names 30 times at this point, but Kirby Smart and Nick Saban are, are arguably the two best guys mm -hmm. in the sport right now, and they're both on the defensive side of the ball. Um, Dave Aranda's coming up, same thing. Um, but even guys like Dabo or Cristobal, you know, they're not built on their offensive play calling. The only guy who really does that is is Lincoln Riley and, and you know, Leach and a few others and Kiffin at a lower time, mm -hmm. but... It's not like every successful head coach or even most of them are strong X's and O's offensive guys. Um, and part of the hope, I think, of getting a guy who actually is on the defensive side of the ball is that maybe he makes his OC higher and is really more willing to give that guy the keys to the offense than a guy like Chris Wall, who, while he isn't calling plays, you know, because of his mentality as an offensive lineman, I think he wanted to have his fingers in that offensive off operation a bit more and maybe push it be to be more conservative. Um, and ideally for me with landing, it's like landing, take what you did with Georgia's defense, do the exact same thing here, recruit your ass off, make good, make good hires on offense. I don't want you to have anything to do with that really. Um, other than picking the right guy to give the keys to, but I don't want his, you know, I don't want him pushing that to be more conservative or anything. And, and that's what Saban's done a really good job of recently. Um, but there's a lot, I mean, that's, there's just so much positive, like, um, upside to this hire and it might not work out perfectly, yeah. but like all these things are like, you know, if it clicks, it can click really well. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And I mean, you mentioned like the Georgia defense, it's specialty. And again, for people who are really in tune with this stuff, you'll, you'll know because of the Bama game, um, his specialty is the front seven mm -hmm. easily. Uh, 
<laughs> I don't know if you've looked at the roster recently, but we're set up pretty pretty well. I mean, obviously, Jason losing Jason Jones is a big hit, but other than that, I mean, we're set up pretty well to be successful there. Bring in a guy like Matt Powledge. Maybe I'm not saying that yeah, right. Yeah, you are. Uh, from Baylor, uh, who specializes in safeties and kind of the back end with DBs. That's huge. And, I mean, I know you tweeted about, like, combining those things could be potentially, like, really, really special. Um, so I think that's kind of an interesting hire as well. And I don't know if you want to get into Dillingham and some of, some of the other guys too yet. But, I mean, obviously I agree with everything you said about uh, landing. I mean, everything – when you – you know, there's obvious risks when you hire like a 35 year old who's never head coached before. But ironically, I think some of the things we hated the most about Cristobal might be what get ironed out by a less experienced head coach. I mean, there were just some boneheaded coaching decisions by Cristobal that like me and you playing NCAA by ourselves can figure out like what's wrong with them. Um, like if, if you can figure out what's wrong with like punting the ball you making the same same mistake twice, punting the ball at the end of the half against Utah in yeah. two straight games against them. Like, it, it it shouldn't be that hard to figure something like that out. Um, so again, we'll see how Lanning's acumen is when it comes to that kind of stuff. Like you said, maybe a step back in recruiting, but honestly, I don't even think that's a safe assumption to make right now. I mean, yeah, yeah. we know Cristobal is an absolute animal when it comes to the recruiting trail, but I mean, it's not like Georgia has lacked for uh, <laughs> defensive power either um, in terms of star power in the past few years. So, yeah, uh, I'm interested to see what he does. And again, bringing in younger assistants is only going to help make that recruiting stronger. Yeah, hundred um, percent. The staff hires he's made and he's made so far in terms of recruiting have been really knockout. Um, but yeah, I think you hope that that side of Cristobal that we didn't like the punting, the whole thing you said, you know about um, stuff that you know we just with a fresh mind playing NCA fourteen can figure out. You know, just like a. a just like kind of take peeling back like just the layers of like football bs that's been pounded into a certain generation of coaching about how like you never go for it on fourth down and you always take the field goal here or whatever it is um and you know not some of it has merit yeah but there's also like a certain aspect of like learning about and and being willing to look at statistics and math and like how those things apply and and the benefits of taking risk and putting your opponents in tough positions um, yeah. that Cristobal was kind of still under that doctrine of old, like traditional ways of thinking about those things. And the big theme of landing staff so, so far has been youth. Um, and you hope that they bring a lot of energy, but also innovation and willingness to take risks in that way. Um, it's just fun. It's it's really exciting to see a bunch of these young guys take over and and just kind of wonder what what they're going to be able to do. Um, yeah, the last mm -hmm. thing I wanted to go back on real quick just before we go into the to the individual staff because I do want to talk about all those guys for sure. Um, also, just talk about like you know last time we talked, obviously a while ago, we kind of broke broke down the news about Cristobal leaving one and then we went through some of the candidates um and so I think so, for some people who just hadn't heard of Lanning they don't follow the in-depths of coaching and assistance so far just kind of like justify why a program like Oregon 
should be taking this you know risk i guess or why this is like a suitable hire for oregon because as we said at the beginning i feel like this hire um kind of bolsters oregon's case as a top 15 program uh but obviously to the naked eye some people who haven't heard of him think it doesn't and think you know a different name like a chip kelly who they know really well would be a you know more significant hire or say more about oregon being a good program because they've heard of his name and he has more experience um mm -hmm. so i'll go through this so basically i think you know without getting super into the weeds i'll just kind of go off of the list of the guys that we mentioned and kind of how we broke it down was was that there's going to be a, a first list. I mean, yes, there's the Hell Mary guys like a Urban Meyer, which which we'll never know exactly how that, you know, how close that did or didn't come to happening. But I, <laughs> I, regardless, there's, there's kind of the first chunk of current head coaches that are ready to take a step from kind of a mid-level program to a top 15 level program. If you're one of those and you're taking a look at it, um, Either you're like the top five programs that can take a swing at Lincoln Riley or Brian Kelly or try to lure an Urban Meyer back or whatever. But if you're not there and you're just top 15 program looking for a really good head coach, first you start with who are the successful guys, head coaching experience at kind of some tier two program programs. Um, mm -hmm. And so big names were Dave Aranda from all in all indications, Oregon pursued it there um similar defensive mind head coach we talked about him in the last episode he's not going to be our coach so no one really cares i assume but anyways oregon <laughs> you know made an effort there seems like he felt good about his position at baylor it is what it is right um kiffin mm -hmm. is another guy who people were excited about we talked about you know the flash and everything but you don't make that hire um because of some of the baggage and his immaturity and and whatever you know the headaches on social media Campbell, Matt Campbell's another guy at Iowa State. Um, that didn't happen for a whole host of reasons, one of which is that uh, Rob Mullins has a close connection with the AD at Iowa State, but also just because the cultural fit was weird. Anyways, all that is to say, there a lot of those candidates that you would look at didn't fit for whatever reason, either because they wouldn't come or you know it wasn't a fit or whatever. Um, and then you have you know Chip Kelly and Wilcox, which we already talked about. But after that, really what makes the most sense and what kind of is the new thing that people are going is they look at top assistants, top young assistants. Um, that's, mm -hmm. you know, that is exactly uh, what um, Notre Dame just did in hiring Marcus Freeman, promoting him. He, and Marcus Freeman is a great comp uh, comparison to what dan lanning is you know a really high level defensive young coordinator so if it's good enough for notre dame i think you can't complain too much about it being good enough for oregon <laughs> um but more specifically than just like oh what is a good coordinator people really like to focus on Broyles award finalists uh that's the award for the top coaching um coordinator and and uh w we mentioned that a bit i think in last one and and kind of the three names that i at least had in our notes i don't know how much we dialed into it because my brain's been elsewhere for the past week but um josh gaddis at michigan oc who actually won it this year jeff grimes the oc at baylor um those are two guys if you wanted to go offensive if you wanted to go for a defensive assistant in college football uh a defensive coordinator 
Lanning is by far the dude. Like he's two-time finalist. He runs the best defense. He has all these connections. So in my mind, I think it's it's not only like a hire I'm optimistic about, but I think that it's a strong hire for the Oregon brand. Like I think it's m- much more impressive hire um, than what we did with Taggart uh, in 2017. I think it's even a better hire um, than the promotion of Cristobal was at the time, probably because he he didn't have um, I don't know that one's a little closer. I thought that was a good hire too, but but he was kind of still in rehabilitation after getting fired from the job at FIU. Um, mm-hmm. Anyways, you know we talk about this this cabinet being loaded up and and Oregon putting itself in a position to land this big coach and that's exactly what they did um they didn't get the first you know guy with head coaching experience but this is a super legit candidate who one of these years was gonna end up at an Oklahoma or an Oregon or a Notre Dame or you know an SEC job maybe a Florida or something like all those jobs that Oregon probably wants to be in the conversation with as top 15 one of those guys was going to hire Dan Lanning in the next couple of years. And, and Oregon got the shot there. Um, and then on top of that too, I think the good thing about Oregon in comparison to those jobs, that was a reason why Dan Lanning took it was because this isn't a classic rebuild. Um, so many times you come in and the cupboards bare and the roster isn't quite there yet. And you have to reset a lot of things and, and you're thinking about year three or four competing, Oregon's set up to compete right now because of where Cristobal left this roster at um, and him leaving for you know his his job. Uh, Oregon didn't have to fire a coach that was failing, um, so yeah. So the roster's really set up well, um, and that's another indicator of this hire possibly being successful because if you don't have those things. Um, hiring coaches can really be (laughs) a 50 50 proposition you know people like danny cannell talk about it being a c plus for every hire because you need those early indicators to go well if you get hired into a position where a roster isn't already in place you need to make a good early signing day class um and be an exception there you need to win some big games early we talked about this last time, I think, but like Cristobal winning the Washington game that brings Kayvon Thibodeau in and gets the recruiting momentum rolling. Or Oregon doesn't have to get recruiting momentum rolling. It's already there, you know? Like, you don't have to be the guy who hops in the plane and, and is taking it off. Oregon's just hitting a little bit of turbulence, but they're already in the air. So you just stabilize that thing, and it's full go pretty much. Um Mm-hmm. And so that's a really nice thing for him is, is he doesn't have to do the job of, of, you know, ascending the whole way. He just has to stabilize it. Yeah. I think a lot of the optimism as well, and I'm not trying to squash any of it by any means. Um, I think a lot of the optimism is helped by the fact that we had no clue who the head coach was going to be. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah, it would have been one thing if we had kind of been side-eyeing, like, landing for a while. Like, okay, you know, maybe this is the guy that, that's going to come up. This came out of nowhere. Um, but it was a pretty, pretty sweet surprise to get um, to see. Again, we mentioned this when we were throwing out those coaching candidates, our, our list of candidates on the last episode, um, which, again, seems like forever ago. But it was, like, less than a month. 
um, when we were throwing out those names, we, we said, like, honestly, I'd be surprised if, like, the name comes from this list. And that's something J-Hop said as well on Scoop Duck. Uh, Lanning is a name he threw out, by the way, like, day of. So he was actually on some people's radar right. for a little bit before he was hired. But um, even then, I mean, it, it wasn't necessarily like a report or anything. Um, I don't know, man. I think that the fact that this all happened so quickly – makes it easier to kind of sit back and say okay like looks like we got somebody who's competent enough to take the job like sweet you know that that's awesome Uh, not that anyone doesn't want this job but like i don't know for me like the timeline of this entire situation makes it much more uh easy to hype up a guy like lanning um when we were staring down the barrel of chip kelly once again like that (laughs) we've talked enough about why that would have been he or Wilcox would have been absolutely disastrous for this program potentially like honestly you know and of course you know the canal point is great like every hire is a c plus hire like it can always go south pretty quickly if it goes south with landing at least we took a shot at somebody like at least we went out and got one of the best names available on the board and again let's remind ourselves that like Oregon started this head like Oregon hopped on this head coaching carousel weeks after everybody else. Like we thought it was winding down by the time Mario left. Yep. Uh, turns out he just had another game to coach <laughs> in the Pac-12 title game. So I don't know, man. I again, my point in saying all that is that the timeline of this hire really makes it easy to fall in love with landing very quickly. That doesn't mean you have to. I'm just I haven't found a single Oregon fan who you know even ones that wrote the letter who aren't excited about Dan Lanning actually I guess (laughs) I guess there's one person on Twitter who's not that hyped about it but um by and large I mean everyone seems to agree that this is a great hire so I mean do should we dive into like potential disaster situations or do you think that's more of an (laughs) off-season I think I think we can save that for the off-season I think that it's okay to be a bit positive right now. But, yeah, I mean, honestly, like, we talked about this stuff um, in the aftermath of, like, the Stanford losses, Stanford loss and the Utah loss. Just, like, and and I'll, I'll be honest, like, I was scared shitless of the possibility of Cristobal leaving uh, and, yep. like, what Oregon's options would be for a new head coach. And, like, waking up, you know, in – with with chip kelly or wilcox here and just being like so um just like not being able to even like imagine a national championship just being like yeah oh like <laughs> we're back to like 10 wins and like rose bowl a ro- like a rose bowl appearance would be amazing which i love rose bowl appearances yeah but like we d- we have been unapologetic about our desire to chase a national championship for 20 years like you got to make a hire with that ceiling and that lease landing is one of them and i didn't know if we could get one of those guys like when as one of those guys i mean oregon hasn't made that many hires obviously right like it's been internal guys for a long time and then it was taggart and like yeah we were excited about him but like ultimately i mean he didn't have a championship ceiling it turned out pretty quickly um (laughs) Chris Bull might have or might not have but I'll also say like another factor of that and me being scared about losing Cristobal and and 
you know, I talked about all those reasons a million times, but being on the other side of it and actually sitting here and like saying, Hey, I have a coach that, that I'm excited about his future and, and the possibility and potential at Oregon is like, I get to let go of some of the stuff that we had to deal with and the headaches that Mario caused with his offense and with some of his decision-making, um, and him being conservative and stuff and, and the things that I at times defended, um, because I thought that, you know, it was, it wasn't going to get better if Oregon moved on long-term that they weren't going to get a better guy in there. Um, and now I feel like there's potential for Lanning to be a better guy than Cristobal was. Um, and so because of that, I'm able to kind of be like, Hey, it feels, feels nice to not have to worry about those. Some, some of those things with Cristobal, it feels nice to, for a second, not have to say like, Oh, we've had this guy in here for, for four years now. And the offense has never like clicked very well. Ugh, like is that ever going to happen and now it's like a bit of a reset and we get to breathe again and be like let's just see what landing can do um and hope mm -hmm. that he doesn't yeah man, we got problems. a two deep today and it only had like four ores <laughs> yeah. on. it was crazy yeah yeah it's funny it's funny moving on from that stuff i won't be missing that shit um yeah but yeah again you make a great point like there's there were definitely big problems with mario mm -hmm. I mean, I think the biggest one even emerged this season with the whole AB quarterback situation. Yeah. Like, we'll never find out why that was the case. I mean, I guess we're just going to have to be satisfied with the fact that the locker room really liked AB and stood behind him. And he was a good leader and all this stuff, even if he wasn't super accurate. For the life of me, I cannot understand why he would be playing a single snap in this Alamo Bowl. Um, yeah period like uh, maybe the Alamo Bowl really just means that much to the players like and that they still want to stick by him I, I I really have no idea yeah um, I don't, but it'll be interesting we'll see what happens I don't know if you got the chance to watch uh Micah Pittman's video about his decision to leave Oregon um but that was like pretty jarring too um you know obviously every story has two sides but he was just talking about like how he actually went to the coaching staff um, at the start of the season and said he wanted a red shirt because he just didn't couldn't produce in the offense with with AB, basically, or an, yeah. not necessarily like with AB, but just in the offense as it was. He he seemed like he um, he wasn't dismissive towards Cristobal as a person, but just was like felt like Cristobal's offensive philosophy and them being so run heavy uh, was what crushed it. But he went like. You know, the stuff you talked about was pretty serious and it made me understand his perspective a bit more where he was like, look, man, I went out there for the Washington State game, which was his last game. And he was like, I didn't enjoy, like I wasn't having fun like that whole yeah. thing and the headaches of the offense and being conservative and so run heavy and not spreading the ball to receivers and having a quarterback who maybe isn't capable of doing those things like that literally like robbed a top 100 former top 100 recruits joy of football like that is toxic mm -hmm. stuff to have happen um and you know without pointing any fingers necessarily but it's just like hopefully with landing in this new era that stuff doesn't happen because if there's one thing i believe and i even believe it with Pittman, it's like people want to be at oregon like 
this some of Chris Paul's time here and with the receivers and the stuff he's brought in and everything like proves like people are even like these these players are willing to put up with a lot of shit to, to stay at Oregon because they are connected to this brand and this is like uh, a place that people feel alignment with right um, so when you leverage mm-hmm. this thing pos- properly and you recruit really well and hopefully you have a better offensive scheme like people there's a natural draw to this place um or or at least one that's been cultivated over the past few decades based on our style and the flash and nike and all of that um so there's there i feel like there's a ton of potential here and i think that landing's a good candidate to to maximize that definitely and again we'll have plenty of time in the off season to kind of For dive sure. into that even more um once people's film studies get through we'll be able to talk more about like the coordinator hires and what they mean obviously kenny dillingham coming from florida state uh connected with the landing at memphis i believe um dillingham's 31 uh we already mentioned uh matt powledge powledge i'm never gonna figure that one out uh he's 34 so another young guy coming Mm -hmm. in um it's crazy man like this (laughs) this coaching staff is not getting any older at the moment (laughs) um and real quick i want to go over like some of the other guys like who's in who's out and who's like who we don't really know about yet yeah let's do that um obviously and then i'll dive in i want to dive in a little more specifically on some of those hires but yeah let's go through the old staff you can run that through sweet sweet uh Mario, obvious one, gone to Miami. Alex Mirball goes with him, the offensive line coach. That's the you know who Alex Mirball <laughs> is. I don't need to go over that. Uh, Tim DeRuiter, defensive coordinator, gone. He goes to Texas Tech. Again, just can't really see him vibing with the new um, sort of young, energetic staff that's coming in here. Not to say like I'm not saying anything bad about DeRuiter. He's a great X's and O's defensive schemer, but um, solid. I mean, I there mean, were some problems a, this year. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, but yeah, he's not—he's not one to necessarily like carry the torch forward, right? Uh, for the Ducks, he's gone to Texas Tech. Uh, Joe Moorhead obviously took the Akron job already. He was offensive coordinator. Um, Marcel Yates, who was uh, what defensive back? Yeah, coach? safeties coach. Is that right? Chance had the corners. He had the safeties, yeah, safeties yeah. coach. Yeah, he and DeRuiter both went, he followed DeRuiter to Texas Tech. Uh, and then Ken Wilson, linebacker's coach, I believe, uh, gets the job at Nevada. So that's actually really great for him. He's the actual head coach there now. Um, by the way, I was another nugget I got from Split Zone Duo the other day. Um, Nevada is one of the toughest coaching jobs in the country. Uh, I think they said, like, it's pretty much one of the four Mountain West schools that doesn't actively care about football um, in terms of investment and like you know getting a coach what he needs to succeed so that that's just something to keep out keep an eye on there um not for a potential reunion necessarily but just i don't know if you want to follow his career or whatever uh okay who's staying so right now the guys who are still on the staff but might be leaving uh mcclendon's the obvious one being the interim head coach he's dodging questions left and right about his future i think it's pretty obvious that he'll be gone um Joe Salavea, defensive line coach, uh, not really sure what he's going to do. And then Rod Chance and Bobby Williams also just kind of up in the air as to right now. I see you have some notes next to this. Do you want to touch on where they might land? Each yeah, of those guys? yeah, I think um, 
I think BMAC, like, he showed up in the Miami directory, so it seems like that's probably it. Um, we'll see for sure. But um, <laughs> Salvea, I think um, – I don't think he's going to Miami, but I don't think he's staying here. Um, obviously, Oregon's kind of working on, on another defensive line coach, potentially Tosh Lapoy, which we should – he's a big name, so we'll get into that in a second. But um, – He'll probably land somewhere on the West Coast. I mean, Salve is a, a great – he's always been great at development. Um, he's maybe showed in his time that he wasn't quite geared uh, as a recruiter to kind of stand up in one of these major, major jobs and get the, like, type of dudes that you really needed. Um, but he developed the hell out of them once they got to Oregon. So he's a good coach, and I'm sure someone on the West Coast, whether it's Pac-12 or Mountain West or whatever, will give him a shot. Um, cause he's, he's a damn good coach. Um, Bobby Williams, uh, I, I think he might go to Miami as, as a special teams guy there. Um, but it just depends if Mario wants him. He's, he's a little older. Um, so I don't know exactly where he'll land necessarily, but I think, uh, probably not at Oregon. Um, and then Rod Chance is the last one who's kind of a maybe, um, he's still sorting it out. He could stay for sure, because um, he's he, and he's been a good assistant for Oregon, and he's gotten some good guys. Um, he could maybe help help pull Julio Florence back in the fold, and him winning with Tucker, and he's gotten a few other good guys during his time here. So um, he'd be great if you could keep him on the staff. Uh, schematically, I mean, it's new, right? You, you have to teach teach defensive backs a little differently based on what scheme they're playing in. So. That will be an adjustment. Chances the cornerback. Yeah, cornerbacks coach, right? Um, but he'd be a good keep if he did stay. But but who kind of knows? Uh, it seems like seems like Lanning's kind of cleaning house either way. I mean, a lot of these guys had other things lined up regardless. But it seems like he's um, he wants to get his own guys in there, and he's done a good job of hiring them so far. So uh, I, I I've been yeah. okay with that for the most part. And you, I had a question lined up, but you kind of answered it. I was going to ask, like, other than McClendon, who's, again, probably gone, um, who would you like to see – who would you like to see retain out of all these guys? And I think Chance yeah. is pretty clearly the answer there. Um, all right, so, yeah, you want to you wanna touch on these new guys? Yeah, let's do it. Um, I can start it off with, with Dillingham. I mean, that's the big news um, in terms of – he's uh he's going to be running the offense you know when you have a defensive head coach so that's pretty <laughs> freaking important to get a good one um he's super young yeah I get yeah it. what you're gonna say i'm gonna run through his resume real quick before you get into his personal stuff um uh arizona state and memphis connected with uh landing at both of those places he became quarterbacks and tight ends coach at Memphis in 2017, moved up to OC the next year, moved up to Auburn's OC in 2019, the, the ne very next year. Um, so this guy got promoted pretty much, it looks like every single year mm -hmm. um, <laughs> that he was somewhere. Uh, and then he obviously coached Bo Nix in 2019 at Auburn, beat Oregon in that initial game, goes to Florida State, continues being OC and QB's coach similar role although he didn't call plays there either 
um, under Mike Norvell. But again, something that uh, I wanted to note with Landing that I forgot to is that you can kind of judge how good of a hire somebody is by the outrage of the opposing fan base from from where they just left. Florida State fans were not happy to lose Dillingham, um, and for good reason. He has made, uh, as QB11 said, a baseball player at quarterback, meaning Jordan Travis, into like a serviceable quarterback at times this season. So, um, yeah, that just wanted to run through the resume real quick. Yeah, 100%, and I can give a little more context to some of those things. So the story overall here and their connection is, so Lanning actually goes to um, – Landing drives up to Pittsburgh, and the head coach there is Todd Graham, uh, and his offensive coordinator is Mike Norvell. So these names are really important. So they're at Pittsburgh, um, and when they go, they then take the job at Arizona State together um, with Graham as head coach and Norvell as the OC there. Um, so what happens is Lanning is pulled over as a grad assistant uh, initially, um, and uh who also comes in the door at, at arizona state is kenny dillingham and kenny dillingham's been working at chaparral before this uh chaparral high school in arizona as their offensive coordinator so he gets an assistant role at arizona state um and this basically starts you know the story with kenny dillingham uh is he's like basically mike norbell's number one prodigy um they're super tight. Mm. Uh, they run a, they, you know, he's, he's been promoted through him the entire time. Right. So he's at Arizona state with him and starting in 2014. Um, and then he gets pulled over to Memphis with him and he goes fast. Like you said, um, from GA to QB coach to, to offensive coordinator. Um, and so that's the deal. And, and Mike Norvell's really respected as an offensive mind. So uh, Dillingham's a guy who meshes really well with him. Um, like I said, like that's, that is Norvell's number one guy, like right-hand man is Kenny Dillingham. Um, and so that's pretty much how it, how it is with him. Um, he's a fast riser like Lanning. Um, he's a smart guy for sure. Um, you talked about the benefit with him as a quarterback coach. That's a huge thing, right? Um, cause Oregon obviously has been looking to develop the quarterback more. Um, and they have three really good ones in there. And as we'll talk about in a second, they brought in, brought in Bo Nix. Um, but anyways, yeah, again, so he goes to Auburn, um, and, more context there right so people are gonna say well he goes to auburn and it's his it's bonick's freshman year right so they're connected there but the thing is when you're an offensive coordinator at auburn under gus malzahn you don't actually do anything but work it with the qbs because gus malzahn <laughs> wants to do all of his own stuff right um we have like crepia talked about this who was on the auburn beat before coming to oregon like you're basically Gus's coffee boy and QB coach. Um, like that's just what the deal is. And Dillingham took the job obviously just cause of like, it's like, it's like the internship you take in college where you're actually just going to someplace to like write emails and work on Excel for them. But the firm name is pretty good. It's, it's pretty impressive thing to say you did even though like the actual mechanics of the work you're doing is, is nothing. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. 
but i mean that's just like that's just what it is right so it's like the big shiny auburn name you get to say your offensive coordinator there that's impressive then norvell lands his big gig at florida state um and his first call basically is to dillingham and dillingham's like okay you're at a power five job too now like okay great after one year i can get away from malzahn and come back to to norvell and work there as no c the sec yeah <laughs> so and bone right um so people who are talking about like scheme familiarity and and oh nicks has already been in the dillingham offense like no that's not true bo nicks worked with dillingham as his quarterback coach he was in the gus malzahn offense though um yeah, the connection is still valuable. That yes. you're saying. I mean, again, that was that was Bo, literally Bo Nix's best year, and we'll talk about that right. more. Um, and I mean, when you can coach a guy to put up 48 points on Alabama, that's that's not terrible. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. So, um, anyways, so with Landing, basically, this, I mean, this was Landing's dude. Uh, I think it's like safe to say that, um. I mean, Dan, this is just like Dan Lanning has decided he is willing to stake his coaching career on his faith in this guy that he came up with through the ranks, uh, Kenny Dillingham. And that's, and Dillingham has a pretty good resume for, I mean, an amazing resume for someone who's 31 in the coaching world, right? Um, and takes it over at Florida State and now. He was getting things going there. Florida State, now their offense wasn't great, but as you talked about, like they have Jordan Travis, a baseball player playing quarterback, and then their offensive line and personnel is just horrific. That place was absolutely gutted by turbulence. Um, that that all started when Oregon kicked Florida State's ass Willie. in the Rose Bowl and then Willie. Yeah, and then gave them Willie. Um, <laughs> anyways, so... Dillingham's set up great at Florida State. It's it's almost analogous to what um, Lanning is doing at Georgia in some ways. Um, but he's really young and he's looking for a good job. And when Lanning gets this one, it makes sense for Dillingham, despite him kind of trying to build something at Florida State with Norvell. He's like, well, I have a chance to actually get out of the shadow. Yeah, I'm out of the shadow of Norvell finally. I actually am fully going to get the keys to this offense at freaking Oregon um that's kind of the move it's like you, you know you build up you're the you're the prodigy you're the offensive coordinator on an offensive minded head coach and then your next big break is you go and be the offensive coordinator under a defensive head coach and then eventually dillingham probably unfortunately is going to move on to his own head coaching job if things all go well in four or five years or whatever it is um and again, that kind of turnover is normal right. at the top of this. Sport. Totally. He's not going to be here for 30 years and that's okay. Yeah. Um, so from a holistic, uh, like running an offense perspective, it's a gamble, right? Cause he's never put it together on his own before. Um, but what you ease your mind of that with just, you know, uh, hopefully landing knows what he's doing. He's been around this guy more than anyone. Um, and he trusts him and Mike Norvell also trusts him a lot. Uh, and people around Kenny Dillingham speak really highly of him. Um, so it's a new challenge for him to put this whole thing together, but you just hope that he's equipped to do that. Um, and the bonus, so that's kind of the unknown, right? Um, but the bonuses that you mm -hmm. can count on with Dillingham are he's, he's shown a really impressive ability to develop the quarterback. 
And that's great news for Oregon with the talent that Oregon has at quarterback. Um, and he recruits really well too. So, I mean, not bad all, if you can, re- the that's door. the thing. If you can recruit well, it's hard to ever like um, make such a horrific hire that it sets you back too far. Right. I mean, it's like it, if you can recruit well and develop a quarterback right. is, is what I would add to that. Considering what we've seen this yeah. season. Um, so I, I, uh, it's tough to say that I love the hire and that I know a lot of people would have liked for Oregon, you know, to go out and, and get a Dan Mullen or someone who's had head coaching experience and has put t- together a ton of offenses and to pair that with an inexperienced head coach. But I, I respect it. Um, I think it's interesting. I think it's exciting, right? Um, and it's kind of cool yeah, that man. Oregon's and- going so young with all this stuff. Exactly. Like if you bring in the guy like Dan Mullen, for example, not not that he was even considered necessarily, um, but you can develop that tension between a first time head coach and an experienced guy as an OC very quickly. Uh, The first thing I thought when I saw this hire and I, you know, read the wiki page on Dillingham was like, wow, they're really given landing the keys to this thing, aren't they? I mean, the fact even like the base fact that we could hire away Florida State's offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach when he's like (laughs) essentially the son of Mike Norvell (laughs) like in a coaching sense is pretty crazy to think about right like you know that it shows that yes that this athletic department is still fully invested in like the program and that's a genuine concern you're allowed to have when there were talks of Josh Wilcox like you want to see that reinvestment and the the seriousness um in hires and I do think this is like a serious hire it's not just like a I don't know friend of you know it's not just Dan Lanning hiring his friends right again Dillingham brings like legit skills to the table um so we'll see what he can do when with the keys to a full offense yep um you want to move on to like yeah yeah so i can go through palage as well so this we mentioned this before but this is a really exciting hire because um because you know landing specializes in the front seven and he's getting a guy who's really good in the secondary a guy who's a safety coach and also coaches special teams um so their connection dates back to when they were both um assistants at sam houston state um and so Sam Houston State's like kind of a, you know, one of those FCS juggernauts. Um, and so they came up there and then Powledge departs. Um, he spent some time at, at Louisiana Monroe. Um, and then ultimately he ends up at Baylor where he is now. So this is another guy who's young, fast riser, similar flavor with all these coaching hires, right? Um, but the thing is, 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 college at Baylor um the schematic ties there is to what Dave Aranda is doing um and that's just fascinating I mean right now the stuff that Lanning is doing with Georgia and the stuff that Aranda is doing at Baylor with the tight front and all that those are like the two most interesting schematic things going on in college football right now on the defensive side so you get the dude who's like really in charge, you know, behind Kirby or co with Kirby at Georgia. 
and then you get a dude who's like a top assistant um to aranda at baylor and you get like to learn about what they're doing and mix that in with it and he also specializes in secondary so that pairing just made like that one really got me excited um from a scheme perspective it's just fascinating to see those two kind of schools of thought about defense and there's a lot of overlap too they're not entirely distinct but just kind of like those two trees that are that are kind of figuring this thing out and and learning about defense and pushing it forward in college at the same time to get two of kind of the smartest minds from each of those trees and have them on the defensive side working together at Oregon is really interesting um and to add in that he's young Mm -hmm. and and you know recruiting's a young man's game and has that same excitement um and, and probably ability on the recruiting trail uh is is a positive as well obviously and i mean maybe the only relative negative i feel like a broken record at this point but lack of experience in this kind of role i mean that's kind of it like again that's the concern across the board really for all these guys so that that can be a genuine concern and i'm not trying to like make people scared or anything but like you know if stuff does go south in the first season like we'll it's it's pretty easy to understand why um it's going to be lack of experience in these spots and again that is something you can overcome you know pretty quickly and Oregon wouldn't be hiring these guys if they didn't think they could do the jobs correctly uh so we'll see what happens but I mean you know blind faith isn't always your best option uh so Pellage called the co-DC but obviously with no DC left you would expect somebody else to fill the other half of that and it seems like that's going to be filled with Tosh Lupoi do I have that right that's that's the hope man um and that one is i mean that is so massive if that gets done um for those who don't know with with tosh just kind of keeping going through there and and this one isn't official yet um obviously right now he's the defensive line coach at the jaguars um but with urban just getting let go there he's kind of people are wondering where he's going to land on his feet um so tosh right uh this name's floated around i mean if you're on like um if you're on scoop duck i mean tosh lupoy might as well be god um like (laughs) so just to give a little context of who who the hell this guy is like this has been the white whale for oregon coaching hires for you know i don't know since i really got into this (laughs) stuff at least like um (laughs) basically this dude starts as a coach at cal uh in 2008 and everyone and out of nowhere he just starts pulling some some pretty good recruits for cal right um he's getting (laughs) that dude i don't know but um he's figuring some stuff out right like just making noise as a recruiter immediately um I'll pull up some of his all-time commit list real quick. Um, but He's also the guy, by the way, who got in trouble for the whole fake injury thing against Oregon uh, in that 2010 game. So just a bit of spice <laughs> yeah, Oregon there. fans might not like that note as much. Um, but anyways, <laughs> yeah, so he does that. Um, he works with Cal from 2008 to 2011, and then he goes to Washington in 2013. Uh, and while he's at Washington, you know, some more names you might know, like uh, Shaq Thompson, he pulls, he pulled Keenan Allen, 
uh, <laughs> as a then safety and five star safety to Cal, right? Um, so when you pull Keenan Allen to Cal, some, in of, some of these guys he recruited. Yeah. And some of these names he was recruiting while he was still at Cal. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, like, dude, like Keenan Allen was the 10th best player in the country and signed with Cal. Uh, and his primary recruiter was Tosh LePoy. So like that, I mean, it's as crazy as it sounds uh, to get him to Cal. Um, yeah. You can pull up his all time commit list uh, on 247 for those interested, but I mean, it's, it's loaded with guys. Um, and then once he gets, so well, I'll, I'll, I'll keep going through his thing. So he goes, he's at wash. He's at Cal for three years. He goes to Washington for two years um, as a D line coach. Um, and then, I'm not sure exactly how that make how that matches up with Washington coaching changes. I think that it might be because he leaves in 2013, and I think that might be um, when Isn't that Sark the end leaves. Of yeah, Sark. I'm pretty sure that's when Sark yeah. leaves. Yeah, so I think that staff kind of disintegrates after Sark leaves, and uh, you know, but Tosh gets picked up as a defensive analyst at Bama. Um, and quickly rises through Alabama under Saban, right? So he goes as a deep. Well, and it's, yeah. it's worth noting that, I mean, he did have problems at UW as well, uh, specifically with paying certain <laughs> friends of recruits and things like that. You know, uh, conveniently swept under the rug. Right. Um, but he wasn't exactly a Chris Peterson mold yeah. um, for a defensive coach. So, uh, yeah, he was out of there. Kind of goes to Bama to, you know, revive his career. Right. But, yeah. Right. No, that's that's very true. That is an aspect of this. And the reason I'm not touching on it as much is because um, like NIL has just people say people have said it on Twitter and message boards like NIL is built for people like Tosh Lapoy. All the shady stuff in recruiting yep. that has been going on since the sport started or since it at least became a major you know, entertainment product. Um, it's been going on for so long and mm -hmm. NIL has just made a lot of that stuff, you know, a little more legal, uh, and acceptable. But even when it, you know, even when it wasn't, it was like, it's not like he's, you know, killing babies or something. He's finding a way to give money <laughs> to recruits who are going to make a lot of money for other, everyone else involved. Like it, it's not the, it's not the worst yeah. thing for a person's character in the world, although it, you know he's bending rules a bit here and there. But, anyways, he's he's a kick-ass recruiter, right? Um, Greg Biggins posted on on the boards that he he said, you know, in the last twenty-five years that he's been covering recruiting on the West Coast, Tosh Lapoy is on the Mount Rushmore of recruiters. Like, damn, yeah, like this dude is a juggernaut, right? So. Anyway, so he winds up at Bama, does the whole rehabilitation thing. Then he takes the outside linebacker's job uh, coaching there, and then he rises to defensive coordinator. That kind of goes poorly, um, and he's fired from D.C. at Bama. Uh, and it goes poorly because Tosh Lapoy, um struggles with play calling and specifically struggles matching the front seven's work with the secondary, which is – you know, part of why making him a co-DC with a safeties coach and schematic guy like Powledge is really potentially, uh, you know, interesting. And this isn't done, but we think this time mm -hmm. it will finally happen, right? Um, but yeah, LePoy winds up in the NFL, 
Uh, he's with the Browns, he's with the Falcons, and now he's with the Jags. Um, and that, t- that is, you know, it says to me, like, uh, I think that some of the stuff about him at Bama and the defensive coordinator position not working is twisted a bit by people to be like, oh, this guy can just recruit. He can't do anything else. I mean, he did. He has been in the NFL for three years now where obviously he can't recruit at all. So I, he's a solid, very solid developer of defensive line talent. There's some questions about him being a play caller, and we'll have to see whether that is indeed his role at Oregon or whether Landon keeps it or whether Pallage takes it. Um, but he can develop a defensive I mean, shit, line. He only worked with – Yeah, what were you going to say? He only worked with – five first round picks at Bama. Uh, he only coached five different first round picks while he was there. So, you know, he, he might be pretty good at developing talent. Right. Yeah. It's um, he's. And yeah, I mean, you don't get an NFL role like that if you're just a exactly either. And the fact that he's had three of them is like, yeah, the, this dude knows what he's doing when it comes to actual football stuff. Yeah. Um, so this thing feels like it's in a good spot. Um, you know, again, you can check out Scoop Duck and stuff for, for more behind the curtain of where where exactly it's all at. But if this is done, this is the home run of all home run hires in terms of, like, this is a guy that Mario was rumored about getting involved with so many times at Oregon. Every offseason it felt like, oh, could he, could he bring Tosh in? Because it's one of the few guys on the West Coast who's a bona fide recruiter with recruiting connections on the West coast and potentially wants to be on the West coast long-term. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, this would be like amazing. And it also speaks a lot to landing if he's able to get it done. I mean, along with what he did with Dillingham and Pallage, but it's like, it's one thing to just, I, I don't know, like any, I mean, I could walk in the door at Oregon and be like, Hey, I want to hire Tosh Lupoy as my co-defensive coordinator. Right. But if he actually gets it done, that's a whole nother thing. Like just identifying, oh, this guy knows how to recruit. Anyone can look up a, you know, 247 all-time commits list and see that. But but to actually be <laughs> like convince a guy who is a very wanted commodity in college that Oregon is the place to be and get the deal done would be a, a huge coup for, for Oregon for landing. Uh, one other name I want to mention, although he's not necessarily going to appear on the field in any aspect, Marshall Malchow, uh, is the new chief of staff for, if you don't know what that means, go watch the Bagman series that Stephen <laughs> Godfrey did a few years back with SP nation and you'll figure it out pretty quickly. Uh, it's somebody who solves problems in the background. We'll, we'll just put it that way. And again, the outrage that occurred from A&M fans reminds you that yes, you do want this person on your staff. Um, it is good for winning football games. I'll kind of leave it with that. <laughs> um, yeah, man. I, again, I'm really excited about all four of these. Well, all three, potentially four of these hires that have been made already um, by Landon. Malchow. It's crazy to have so many new faces in the door already. Like, it's it's nuts, the amount of turnover. Yeah, 100%. Um, Malchow or Malchow, I don't know which one it is, but he's, he's really highly thought of, too. Um, and yeah i mean the stuff you're alluding to is true but also i think he's just a good behind the scenes you know front office type he's good at his job. Um, yeah he's freaking good at his job like people there is an athletic article ranking the top like um recruiting staff 
in in the country and i think he came in second um and he's a guy who mm-hmm. uh was at georgia and kind of i think that's i i'm sure that's where he knows landing from but he kind of mastermind that thing um and that really impressive recruiting off operation that georgia had or not mastermind but had a role in it but then he took over at at a&m and led them to an insane class this year i mean a&m is set up yeah they're number one right yeah now, they have right? the number one class in the country and are set up to extend it even more like they have it, i the it's probably the best front seven hall i've seen ever from a college football class like ever um and if you pair him with Tosh LePoy, like he could get some of those got, you know, hopefully some of that stuff to Oregon. And that's huge. Um, I almost like for me having a like defensive lineman recruiting just the biggest body, most, ta- most talented one and linebackers is like as important as anything. Um, yeah, I just getting those bodies, especially in the Pac-12 with the competition you go up against, you know, if you're able to get those <laughs> Anthony Lucases and JT Tuam allows to stay in, and, and Corey Foreman or whoever it is, those, you know, two to three bodies that exist that are top 50, top 100 level on the, on the West Coast, uh, if you can get, you know, a couple of them to come to Oregon every year, like that is insane for oregon but it also keeps them from the other schools on the west coast more often now leaving for schools outside of the pac-12 but when you play those teams in the pac-12 they don't have those bodies ever like you are just gonna bully them um yeah so man the that that hire was just awesome that's another one where it's like and if you want to know, I forget who broke it, but but just go to that tweet and look at all the quote tweets of it. And it's all these people saying fans aren't, you know, fans don't realize, but this is probably the biggest hire of them all. And like, oh, my God, I can't believe he got this one done. And this is so this is going to be so big. Mm-hmm. Um, he's another guy who, like, people speak so highly of um, who are around him. And so, yeah, uh, that hire was awesome. Yep. Um, all right, man. Let's talk about another name that's coming in the door. Um, out of all the names we've seen and just discussed that are going to be new for the 2022 season, I think this is the least likely. Um, Bo Nix is coming to Oregon, baby. He's coming to Eugene. Um, yeah. What is that? Three, three years after? Yeah, three years after he broke our hearts in Arlington. Um, in his first ever college football game, he's, he's, he's coming on down to Eugene or coming on up, I guess. <laughs> um, I, I want to clear up some things. Uh, number one, this is a good thing, period. This is a net good. This is a net positive for the team. It is not inherently a bad move. It's not inherently going to negatively affect the quarterback room. If anything, you know, bringing in another former five-star quarterback like would strengthen your your quarterback room you would think um it does raise a couple questions and again we're not going to dive into this a ton because we have an entire offseason to talk about it but uh (laughs) i've never seen a player more perfectly built for pac-12 after dark man this is going to be special this is going to be like must-see tv even though it might make our eyes bleed 
if if it it does end up happening and he ends up starting. But uh, what were your initial reactions to this? I know you had a paper you were working <laughs> on at the time, so you might have had to delay it a little bit. Yeah, I was. I was the the absolute like swirl of Oregon news was not exactly appreciated for me over the past week while I was working hard on finals <laughs> and papers. Um, it was quite a lot to try to juggle and and hear. Oh, this person's talking in a space. I'm like, oh, I guess I like I'm gonna tune into this while I try to get another hundred <laughs> words out. But um, anyways, yeah. So. Uh, I, I I reacted I, I don't know like you said I think that it um it felt more and more like Oregon was gonna have to bring in a transfer quarterback from somewhere uh, I think especially once you lose Tanner Bailey to South Carolina and you don't have a guy coming in um the reason for that is is right now you have three scholarship quarterbacks uh and you worry that if if one of those three young ones in particular earns the job you know that some that one or two of the others can transfer and then you don't have anyone coming in behind them right um so it made sense to get a transfer one way or another and as far as it goes i mean this is one of the bigger name guys you could get um i i i'm excited about the potential of it uh i don't know if he starts i know some people qb11 has said he, he thinks more likely than not he doesn't start I think more. I think it's more likely that he does start versus Georgia, but we'll see. Um, but I, he has a he has a relationship with Dillingham. Uh, he's a exciting, dynamic guy to watch. Like he said, Pac-12 after dark type of thing. Um, he's he has a ton of talent coming out of high school. This is a five star recruit, right? Like he, it could work out now. Yeah, he's been very up and down at Auburn. Um, he's been, you know, not a great quarterback. I know it's floating around like his QBR was lower than Anthony Brown's and stuff. But it's just so different, the situation that he's in at Auburn. Like when you're playing, I mean, Auburn has year in, year out, the hardest schedule in the country. Like they have, they play Alabama, LSU, and Texas A&M in their division. And then they also have a uh, guaranteed rivalry game protected against Georgia yearly for some godforsaken reason. They thought that was a good idea. Uh, it's, the, it's the deep south. Solace. Right, exactly. Um, which it, it's fun to watch, but I mean, it's a disaster for a quarterback. And especially with a team that's had a bad <laughs> offensive line and. I don't know. I just don't think Auburn's put him in a good position to win, and Malzahn also has been bad at developing quarterbacks. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things. Again, it's kind of like this, the landing hires and, and this move even, it's just kind of like this web of trust from landing where it's like, okay, we're giving landing the stuff. He has this resume. He's a fast riser. He's kind of unproven. And then it's like landing saying, hey, well, I really trust this guy, Dillingham, and I know him really well, so <laughs> I'm going to do this. And then Dillingham gets in, and he's like, well, I've worked with this guy, Bo Nix, at quarterback, and you know, I really believe he's can get the job done. 
uh, potentially. Uh, we don't think there's any guarantees yeah, made. Or, but. again, at the very least, he will increase the talent in the quarterback room. At the very, very yeah, least. Yeah, I think QB11 put it well. It's setting a floor for the quarterback room. It's like if, if those guys, young guys, aren't ready or they're whatever is going on with them, you have a guy who's been a starter for three years at a high-level Power 5 program. Like, he's, he's not a bad player. I don't know. I just think that I think some people he's become such a meme because of Gus Malzahn and exactly. and because of the offensive line being horrible, you know. And he does has some Johnny Manziel like escapability and and crazy plays, but I don't know. It's uh, yeah. We'll see. I, I'm I'm in the wait and see right. camp with Bo. I'm not totally convinced. Uh, I do think it is a net positive though. Again, like having more bodies in the QB room, like you said, setting the floor, like expectations it's the out the i guess is an outrage but the pushback from oregon fans on this is totally understandable i completely get it like we've just endured an entire season of anthony fucking brown at quarterback and for all intents and purposes like this looks like you know the same thing pretty much um there's also the angle of him literally beating us in a game bo nix uh, that contributes to it. There's the obvious, like Michael Dyer stuff. With Auburn. Um, <laughs> oh, God. Like there's a history of or behind Oregon and Auburn. You yeah. Know? Um, so I think that convergence of all these different factors, again, like the transfer quarterback this year being the biggest factor plays a much bigger role than maybe it should in the way people are thinking about this situation. It's certainly, I, I don't anticipate the fan base uh, getting any kinder during the off season. Um, so we'll see what happens there, but yeah, man, I, why not? You know, he's got to land somewhere. Um, and I'm okay with it being here. Yeah, exactly. That's how I feel too. Yeah. Any other guys we should look for? Um, I mean, again, transferring out, I guess we haven't really mentioned the list yet. DJ James is in the portal starting corner. Uh, seven McGee was in the portal and then is out of the portal couple hours yeah. later um jason jones we already mentioned he's in the portal um expected to go or has he already gone to miami no i i was he just i think that some there? people expect that but i don't even think that that's a done deal or anything i, I wouldn't put it that strongly okay. but it's certainly a possibility for sure um am i missing anybody no that's it right now um the decisions nfl decisions uh devin williams and mikhail Wright going to the draft that was big news too um yeah will uh right not surprising williams a little more surprising but i mean ultimately like he's got the build yeah you know, he, he we knew it was it. a possibility for sure um sala also sala right the draft i believe that's all four including kt is that's all four of the declaration so far right um yeah. yeah i think that's uh, as far as i'm concerned that's pretty much it for the stuff that i I feel like I wanted to get get out in this episode, um, and we'll obviously had a big early signing day that that I think we can probably save and talk about um, in another episode. But I, I thought that was a positive development overall, um, and mm -hmm. yeah, 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 man. I don't have anything else either. Uh, we'll continue to monitor this stuff. Follow us both on Twitter. We're always talking about it. Um, obviously, I don't 
I think this episode was enough evidence that like Scoop Duck is a useful resource, uh, so you should definitely take advantage of it. Um, yeah. Anything else to plug? You working on anything for Scoop Duck right no, now? No, I'm kind of just just trying to recover from my my semester and getting back into it. So um, I'm hoping hoping to to really dive into that stuff um, once I get back and get back to Oregon uh, and and. Yeah, from there, just, just I'm sure there'll be more stuff out, but I don't have anything particular in in the oven right now. Yeah, man, you coming back this week? Yes, time for yes, Christmas. I'll be back for Christmas. I'll be nice. back for a while till the till the start of this restart of the semester or next semester in, in mid January. So, yeah, yep, uh, and, and we Sweet. have to obviously get to the get to the Alamo Bowl in an episode soon, but. Yes, yes. It's hard to believe, but yes, this is still football season, and we do still have a game in a week. Right, right. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so look for an episode in the next couple of days on that. Um, I, I don't think there's anything else, so uh, thanks for listening. Please rate and review, and go Ducks. Go Ducks! ducks.